Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to Madame Perry's Salon, the cultural salon in a cheating bottle out in cyberspace. I am your host, your groove mistress, and your spiritual advisor, Madame Perry. But you can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP, Perry. I don't care. I'm just happy to be here, and I'm very happy that you're here listening. Uh, first, let me thank all the people that have been subscribing, that have been listening, downloading uh, on Podbean, Spotify, Apple blog talk ready wherever thank you so much and thank you for the comments that you give me and reviews so that i know uh, what you want to hear more of and what kind of guest and what you're interested in and because i've been i have been so fortunate to have so many fascinating people on the show and by the way um we had a giveaway last week with uh, for uh, from Daisy Bella, who was once a sponsor of ours, and it was for a T-shirt. And Peg, uh, excuse me, not Peggy, uh, <laughs> Marilyn Opitz in uh, Germantown, Maryland, uh, she won the T-shirt. But she always go to Daisy Bella because they do put a percentage of their profits into uh, uh, women's shelters and women's causes. So that's always good. Besides, they're just wonderful clothes, and they're very very, very comfortable. Also, uh, Franny Goldie, F-R-A-N-N-E-G-O-L-D-E. She still has, she still gives us a discount. If you shop at FrannyGoldie.com, then just put at the end uh, M-P-S for Madam Perry Salon in the checkout, and you'll get, I think it's a 10% discount on those magic pants or whatever that you see in Oprah Magazine usually uh, or on The View. And I see, oh, gosh, all kinds of stuff coming up. Well, we had such a good time. Uh, Beth Lapidus was on recently, and she's got another uh, writing workshop coming up. And, of course, she is the producer. She's a comedian, actor, writer, and producer of Uncabaret. Also, we had Peggy Vetra, who was an actor. You've seen her in lots of TV shows, movies, uh, Seinfeld. And uh, but she's also a puppeteer. And she's going to be performing this weekend in Los Angeles. I don't have the name of the place, but if you want it, message me and I'll give it to you uh, because I'm I'm going to get to go there and see her this weekend. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, anyway, like I said, it's just uh, have been so many fantastic guests. Oh yes, by the way, if you're listening live tonight, uh, and this is August the ninth, twenty twenty two. And it's uh, 8.03 p.m., GMT minus 5, I believe. Uh, my client, uh, Brandy Stillwell, who you heard on here before, she's going to be at Barnes & Noble in Rancho Cucamonga, which is a little a little of Los Angeles, this Saturday from 2 to 4 uh, with her book, None of This is Going According to Plan. And... If you do read the book, you'll know that we don't even know what the plan was anymore, but it's hilarious. So there. So check that out for sure. And I'll be there in Rancho Cucamonga with her. So it's going to be fun. Anything with Brandy's fun, actually. So uh, tonight's guest, and I am so, so excited about this. Uh, she's an author. Her new book is, well, she's also a teacher. She's also very many things, but we're going to get into all that. But her new book is called Small Deaths. I think the original title was A Death in Shonagachi, but it's called, in the States, Small Deaths. And it uh, takes place in Calcutta's red light district. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to let her tell you about this. So I'm so delighted to have here in Madame Perry Salon, author Rijula Das. Rijula, welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you, Madam Perry. <laughs> did I get you, did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes, yes, absolutely. You did get my name. Absolutely correct. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to be sure. Um out of respect. And so thrilled to have you here. Now I was gonna I was gonna start describing a small death because it I know it takes place in uh Calcutta's uh red light district, uh with sex workers and there is romance, there is um murder, there's all kind of things. Could you just give us in, in just a nutshell the description of the book? Uh, this is the hardest thing you can ask an author to do, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give it a shot. So, <laughs> as the the story is, yeah, about Lali, who is a, a sex worker, and she was trafficked into the trade as a child, um, sold into it, in fact, as as a, as a young child, and she is now crossing uh, well into the thirties, and she's thinking about her future and she wants to transition to being an escort which she thinks will give her more um, stability Uh, and there is a erotic uh, there's a writer of erotic fiction who's madly in love with her but can't muster up the courage to quite tell her Um, and you know in in this sort of scenario there's a murder of uh, another sex worker that happens next door to Lali and both of their lives change that very night. Oh, wow. And, you know, when, when people um, hear the, the, the description where uh, she wants to uh, sort of transition what her job is, um, you know, at first you, I think probably everybody would listen and hear, oh, she wants to transition to maybe having a, a job outside of sex work or something else. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to read, then they go, oh, well, why yeah. not? Here, why not? Well, um, the character Lolly, uh, if I'm correct, she was sold into prostitution by her father at the age of seven. Is that correct? Yeah. So, therefore, she would, you know, something she was, (laughs) had no choice about and no no, um, other options. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, just, uh, yes, absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, it's easy to think that, I mean, it's easy to think for somebody from the outside that, oh, if you want to transition, you would want to transition into something else. And while that's possible, it's not entirely impossible. It really does depend on circumstances and and scenarios. So uh, Shonagachi is is, is the largest red light district in Asia. In all of Asia, in fact. So uh, even the official numbers are, are off by, you know, tens of thousands of people who live there. Um, and, and it does host a variety of sex workers. Some of them are housewives uh, and their families know absolutely nothing about uh, their trade. They they pretend to, let's say, have a part-time job that they do three days a week. They drop their kids off at school, and then they have like a five-hour uh, slot in the red light district, and then they go home by, by 5 p.m. they're home or 4 p.m. they're home, you know. So so there's these various kinds of people that, that are in there, including people like Lali, who, who's uh, basically the only home they've known in any real sense of the term is, is that. And they don't have a lot of education. And uh, in a country like India where... It's, it's 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 often hard to get a job that will keep body and soul together, even if you have a bachelor's degree. Um, it's very hard for someone like Lali with no education and um, no experience of any job outside of her sex work to to find work. And and you know you could you could make pickles or sew things in a factory, but that's that's not uh, nobody wants to. Uh, go into further poverty when you're already poor. You don't mm-hmm. want to go into further poverty. Um, mm-hmm. So there are practical challenges. So um, it, it, I always knew that because the book is based on years of research and stuff, I always knew that it wasn't going to be fair to portray Lali as somebody who wants to transition out of uh, sex work. Just women that I met there, uh, are far too uh, they're far too practical or smart to think that that's going to work. Uh, to be uh, honest, as, as most of us would have been if you we were actually in that reality. Mm, wow! So uh, 
which is hard for, for people who really know nothing except what they see on, on TV or fiction to grasp. But the, the way you right. describe it, it makes perfect sense. You know, this is the hand that they're dealt. They don't see a chance of much opportunity. They've got to manage it the best they can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was that was very much the idea, which I think is underrated in fiction. Like, I think we're 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 a very romantic bunch, but um, I, you know, we don't we don't really tolerate it well when our characters are are aggressively practical. <laughs> but uh, it is, uh, <laughs> I think, it is underrated having a very practical, level-headed uh, protagonist, you know, who who wants to dream within the bounds of what is possible to dream. <laughs> <laughs> You've just brought to mind so many situations where I remember as a child when my brother and I would visit um, my grandmother and, um, you know, her brothers and sisters and all in the family, they'd watch TV shows and talk like, like daytime soaps. They'd come home for lunch, watch the soap, and then go back to the mill where they worked, and they would talk back to the characters. You know what he's going to do? Or, yeah. <laughs> well, of course, to see her on the street, I just slap her face, you know, because they would get so aggravated at him. But still, yeah. they watched it every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I watched my parents watch the, the soaps when I was a teenager and, you know, I was in high school living with them. And, yeah, they, you know, they're, they're giving the uh, – characters advice they're screaming at them they're telling them what to do and uh <laughs> and i always found that so strange but <laughs> but then uh, i i don't think that people would have been particularly happy if all the characters did did, did the smart thing you know like the actual practical thing i feel that i feel that people will be deeply disappointed if you're if you're Soap opera characters were actually like you know <laughs> pretended they had a brain. <laughs> so it would be so deeply disappointing. That's true, but but I think here I think we we've made a point that if we both saw this growing up in different parts of the world, this is something universal probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. It's the, it's the thermodynamics of soap operas. I think it's a separate science. <laughs> In itself, it's the thermodynamics of soap operas. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, first of all, uh, I want to give a little bit of background on you. Now, um, you got a, you have a Ph.D. in creative writing, prose and fiction, uh, that you earned in 2017 from Nanyang Te- Technological University in Singapore, and then you taught there for two years. And do I understand that it was research you did and I think I heard you discuss this in, in one of the interviews I listened to. Some of the research you did focused on connection between public space, sexual violence, um, and from there, and stories and research you did and stories that you gathered, uh, that's where your book well, the, was was uh, kind of where the book was born, actually. Yeah, it was. So I was, um, you know, I was trained as an academic. I was in that track. So I did uh, enter my PhD with a more uh, academic focus. So I was doing it in English literature. But I had never taken a break uh, from kindergarten, basically, to PhD. I had I never had a break here. I had nothing. I was wow. um, about, I, I think I was um, 20. Five or twenty, I was twenty four, twenty five, and I was in my PhD program, and um, I just very soon, like within a year, I think, I was I was burnt out. I think I was I think I was burnt out even before. But um, you know, there is it's it's funny to me how our conversations have changed in the short span of even five eight years. There's no conversation about burn burnt out, burnout at that point of time that I remember. Um, you were so, sort of supposed to feel grateful. This man was completely funded. I've been um, funded uh, to do my studies since my master's degree. So I was on scholarships. Everything was paid for. Uh, and, you know, these are obviously it comes from a lot of hard work. You work very, very hard to to be able to get there. 
but you know, uh, so nobody really talked about burnout, and the idea of dropping out of a PhD program would have been this this ultimate like failure and death. You know, like it would just be wow, the shame of it, of like sort of failing out of it. So I couldn't, I couldn't. It wasn't an impossible situation. I couldn't carry on because I had, I, I literally had no intellectual curiosity at that point. Like, which is something that you need to be able to do. Just to start, even on a five-year-long project, uh, but I, I, I couldn't do that. But I also couldn't walk away. So, but I'd always been writing, and I never, um, and I've been writing seriously. But I'd never thought of myself as a writer or, you know, publication. I was just writing. I just knew that I'd been writing for a long time. It was a, a serious hobby. So, um, the creative writing department in the university that I was in. I was doing some workshops with them, and they began to suggest that I shift over to the creative writing department as I was already working on a book. And that seemed to be uh, to be a choice that made sense at that point of time. So, um, you know, I, I kind of moved over, and for a few years, I just wrote the book. So that kind of, I think... Uh, made me, uh, you know, like sort of brought brought some life back into me after writing a novel, which was not doing the research. And then I started to kind of went backwards. It wasn't that so I wrote the book, but it was obviously the first draft. And then I went and did all the research uh, in this area. And then I wrote the, the critical part of the, the PhD thesis. And then I went back to the book sort of so to speak. So, um, you know, one fed the other, um, and, and they both kind of let me kind of come back to life a bit intellectually. Oh, man. Uh, how, how long, how many years did you spend working on this? I mean, I don't know. I wonder, was, you did so much work uh, and so many, so much research. Did you even think in the beginning that this was going to be part of a book? studying, you know, the, the women uh, and sex workers and, and so forth, the sociological aspects of it. Did you ever think this would be a novel? Um, I was always interested in it. I was always, I was always, I mean, you know, there are certain things that, that, that uh, just speaks our uh, curiosity. And um, most people who do PhDs on things like, you know, you have to run with something that you're already curious about, like in life, like if you're, curious about whales like you know that's that's what you should go for this curiosity is the is the thing that actually sustains you um over years of research so i'd always always been interested but i think when i went looking for the research i just found so much good work like uh coming from somebody who who was almost so burnt out that you know i was i was gonna almost drop out of a phd program uh, once I finished my writing the critical uh, pieces with with all that research, I was really I was really upset. I told my partner I want to go back and do another PhD in in history. Like I think I just chose chose the wrong stream. Wow. I should have done like <laughs> I should have I should have done this. I should have done like feminist architectural history to begin with. I should do a second PhD. And my partner was like, "You're just trying to avoid real life. Like it's just time to like get out." <laughs> <laughs> get out of it now. Like nobody does like only losers do two PhDs. Like one is enough. Get over it. <laughs> so I think yeah. yeah, but um it's just just goes to show that 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 if you do choose the, the right kind of thing, you know, and that's why I think it's important to 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 take some time and then and actually figure out what is it that you want to work on. Because um, I think that if I had chosen that, uh, my experience would have been very different to begin with. But um, did I think it was going to be a book? Like, I think when you when you go into the research, like, because all of this is real life, you know, and, and it's current real life, you're looking at, I was looking at a variety of sources. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm looking at historical sources where, you know, where you kind of see this whole city being built and, how is it that they figure out, okay, that zone is for the women who do sex on the side. Like, how do they figure these things out? Like, some of these are obviously historical, but a lot of these are just contemporary, um, you know, 
facts and figures and statistics and anecdotes and stories of, of you know, how the law is dealing with them, how they're dealing with it, what do they think of home. So um, it, it's all very current. So it's not really that different from reading a newspaper article, just that the newspaper article is probably shorter and a bit more storytelling. But uh, the research papers are, you know, largely, we're still dealing with the same thing. So once you, once you see how real it is, there is no way that you can write a book and still feel morally okay about it in the sense that, that you've depicted reality to the best of your ability uh, without incorporating some of the research because otherwise it's just, you just sort of um, kind of changing real life, if that makes sense. Like it's not mm. truthful anymore at one level. Oh yeah. Uh, wow. I want to read um, just uh, a bit of a review in Publishers Weekly. And I'm just going to read um, the description from beginning, just a part of the beginning and part of the end. It says, Das's searing debut centers on the plight of sex workers in contemporary Calcutta, India. Cell phones now enable sex workers to make their own deals, so pimps and madams have been forced to diversify their activities, bribe more officials, measures against those who flout their arrangements okay then i'm going to skip to the very end where it says das effectively reveals a painful paradox the exploited workers frequently consider the brothel their only home in a land that can overwhelm one with kindness one minute and skin you alive the next this devastating novel is in turn touching and painful to read das a bengali to english translator is definitely a writer to watch. You think they? I think they get the. Um, they get the message. <laughs> there. <laughs> that that is their only Thank home, you. and there's, yeah, there's one way. And this, I mean, this description. It says they frequently consider that they're exploited. They consider that's that that's it. That's that's their only home. It can be good or it can be really bad, but that's it. And I would think that would be yeah, the Yeah, I mean, and I think, yeah, well, I think it's, um, uh, it's, it's sometimes, you know, things are so simple, but somebody puts it in a certain way and you have never seen it that way. And it just sort of blows your mind. And um, I think that was, um, if, if the reader sort of feels that sort of sense of shock or wonder at how the sex workers see their home, like, that's because I went through the same thing and I wanted that, that bit also to be there in the book where, um, you know, of course that's, of course, if that's where, that's like if your family sold you off at seven or five or nine and that's the home that you grew up in, obviously that's your home, you know. It's just like that's, that's the only thing you know and that's, that's true of, um, of, of, of people everywhere, like whether you, you, you've grown up in a cult or you've grown up in an abusive home or you've grown up um, in a brothel. Uh, Jeanette Winterson, who I absolutely love as a writer, she, in her memoir, she has a line, sentence, which I just absolutely loved. Uh, it's, she says, the love you get is the love that sits. Uh, and that's so true. The, the, what you know to be love, what, you've, what you're taught as love, is the love that is normal to you for the rest of your life. And, and for many of us, uh, it never does that click where you say, oh, wait a minute, that's not normal. That's not, that's not okay. Like putting somebody down is not okay. But it, mm. it, it's taken us... So it's taken us generations to to get there, you know, like all the comments about, say, women's bodies, you know, and families. Like, was just, um, there's an international film festival on here in New Zealand where I live, and I've just been going out to watch movies, and uh, I saw this uh, absolutely fantastic um, uh, movie, an American movie called The Humans, and it's about a family in coming together to celebrate Thanksgiving and their uh, daughter's new flat in New York. And, um, and, you know, there was this scene where 
all the, the mum and the two daughters, they, they've got these old pictures and they're all just making comments about their own bodies in the, uh, and how fat they are in the, in the photographs. And, and I was just thinking how common that is, that whenever families get together, there's always this, uh, this mm-hmm. time in the family gathering where there's got, there's got to be this conversation about how much, like, it's like, like mandatory, <laughs> like how much weight you've gained or lost or what's happened. And it goes on. And it's, and it's, it's just across, like it happens in my family. It's like the first thing that they comment on when I walk through the door and I live in a different hemisphere. Is just how much weight I've gained or lost, or whether I've not gained anything. It's like it's like the first thing they can comment on me. Like, uh, is is this? Um, it's it's uh, it's 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 fascinating. The everybody, like you know, we all do that. But but um, it's it's you know, it's taken us generations. It's only now that I can remember. In, in, in our contemporary times that sometimes people say, hey, that's not okay, or that's not normal, or that's, it shouldn't be how it is. Like for, for generations, we've just accepted that this is how families talk, and this is okay, and this is normal, and you shouldn't cry about it. And if you cry about it, it's really your problem. So, <laughs> so I mean, it, <laughs> it's just, it's just um, you know, just a thought on, on, on what we consider normal. And and, um, and and why should it be different for somebody uh, because you know they're growing up in a in a broth hole? I mean, it's not you know like what you have around you is your normal, um, and it, it, the the base you know there's a base level of violence in everybody's life, and in some people's life the base level of violence is very high, uh, and what seems bizarre to us from the outside is really quite normal for them. And that's um, that's such a mundane thing, but it was so shocking to me when I first sort of it clicked in my head. And um, yeah, and that's that's I suppose why it's in there in the book. Mm. That's uh, yeah, uh, you you just put that so succinctly. And, and yes, yeah, some of these things are universal. You you may not think it; yeah. we might sound different and look different. And there may be some things that are very different in terms of uh, uh, traditions, manners, or whatever. Um, but so many things are really are universal. So yeah, they are. Even even if you didn't understand my southern accent, Regula, and you seem to be doing pretty good so far. <laughs> I love your southern accent. I love southern is one of my southern. Uh, Southern and Scottish are two of my favorite accents. And Irish, sorry. Irish trumps Scottish. Southern, oh, Irish, yeah. and Scottish are my three favorite accents of all time, yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the Scottish, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, now you just took me mentally down a little path, a little tangent, because I saw the band, the Scottish band last night, uh, Franz Ferdinand. Okay. Yeah, they from that. They're really popular in the 2000s, I think. Yeah, and I remember the singer okay. danced. He jumped around so much. I kept thinking he's going to do river dance any second now. I can tell by the way he kicks and jumps. <laughs> it's going to happen, but it didn't completely. But I was counting on it. Um, so yeah, so many things like that really are uh, universal as far as social observations and, and experiences, and uh, sometimes even prejudices as in what people should and shouldn't look like or, or weigh or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's true. So to get back, you are, you received the 2019 Michael King Writer Center Residency in Auckland and the 2016 mm-hmm. Dustin Award for your short story, Notes from a Passing, and, uh, and your mm-hmm. story, The Grave of the Heart Eater. Wow, what a title. Uh, was long listed for the Commonwealth Short Story Prize in 2019. Um, it's pretty cool. So that that's how you came to live in New Zealand, is through the uh, the residency. Um, no, no. Uh, I actually I I just finished my PhD and my partner uh, got a job in New Zealand, and he asked me if uh, I would like to move with him. And I said, yeah, why not? Because, you know, there was uh, no particular reason for me to hang out in 
Singapore or um, go back to India, uh, where I'm originally from. But uh, so we took a chance on New Zealand and we were supposed to stay here for a year or two. And now it's um, six years and counting. No kidding. That's fantastic. <laughs> yes. It must be a good fit. Yeah, it is. I mean, we will eventually um, move to Europe, where my partner is from. But um, it is—it's uh, it's a really beautiful country. It's a beautiful country. It's a beautiful. It's also really beautiful people. They're—it's um, just a bunch of really um, well-meaning people overall, which is very rare in um, the countries you know I've seen and lived in. Um, but yeah, here people are mostly trying to look out for each other trying to do the right thing. I think it's all the pros and pros of being so far away from the world and being mm-hmm. a small community till very recently. Like from what I understand, uh, New Zealand, like uh, people, uh, I'm in my, I'm, I'm in my 30s. So people uh, my age, like, which is not that far away, like they, they remember growing up in neighborhoods where nobody ever locked their doors. Uh, you'd always find somebody's kid in someone else's house. Um, you know, small communities, yeah. everybody, yeah, they're all in like two degrees of separation. Before I moved here, the joke was that like everybody's related to everyone else. Like, you know, if you start talking, somebody's cousin, some dated somebody's second cousin or like, you know, everybody knows or went to school with them. It used to be a very small um, community. So obviously it's getting bigger, but it's nowhere it's very because I've, I've lived in I've, I've always lived in really big cities, um, and and uh, it's it's very different. Even even in a city, uh, you sort of have more community, more green spaces. Uh, people do know each other. So it's a very different uh, pace of life. Mm, I see. Uh, it sounds, but it sounds quite lovely. It is quite lovely. Yes. <laughs> Um, you know, it sounds like 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 in my subdivision, it's just uh, uh, it's very diverse culturally. And but I tell people like the last right. couple of uh, new people that moved in, I said, you know, um, you're going to find in this in this little subdivision, people may not always talk to each other because people have work and different schedules and kids or whatever. Unless people have kids, they do communicate more. I said, but everybody tends to watch out for each other. And make sure right. that, you know, everybody, you know, somebody needs something or if they think that somebody is uh, around the neighbor's house that shouldn't be. Everybody watches out for each other, even if they don't talk a lot. So that's pretty good. Um, and, and I like that. So um, so much to talk to you about, and I don't know where to start. Um, there was part of another review I was going to read, but right now I'm going to play. I need to stop and play a couple of uh, couple of ads for some very nice people who keep this show going. So I am going to uh, stop just about two right. minutes for that. So for it, oh, yes, wonderful. No Thank you. And if you're listening live and want to talk to Rajula, you can give us a call at six four six seven one six nine nine. It's a toll-free call, the continental U.S., but also if you're at a situation, and I think we've all been here, Regula, a situation where you can't make a phone call, maybe you're at a job or something, you can always send me a message um, on through Facebook Messenger, either Madam Perry Salon or Jennifer Maudette Perry, and of course, I'll always pass that along. So right now, we're going to hear something from, uh, he, shared, he said she heard. Do you like podcasts that feature high-profile interviews? I do. Two girls, <laughs> one gold shop. Oh, my. I think you've got the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of stick are you referring to? <laughs> Flobo voice. How are you, Flobo? I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but, man, I love your voice. I am transported wow. to LA Confidential. Do you like podcasts that offer audio skits? I do. Ma'am, you also need to pay for your vegetables. Not according to Proposition 47. Our food debt is under $950, so we're, so we're good to go. You like podcasts that have original music? I, I do. do. 
then I invite you both to visit www.hesaidsheheard.com. And again, www.hesaidsheheard.com. <sighs> Ugh, what a day. I just need some me time for once. Yes, perfect. I got the new bath bombs today. Beach and clove, here we come. Mim and the Anvil makes the best smelling herbal blends of bath bombs. You can order loose or ground herb, added buttermilk, extra large, even ones with hidden gifts inside. There are over 25 essential oil varieties. After today, my body definitely needs some spiritual nourishment and lots of fizz. Her metaphysical blends are soothing in more ways than one. Visit MimInTheAnvil.com today. Make time for yourself. There are over 100 herbal blends of bath bombs. Keep a healthy body and mind. Feed your soul. Visit MimInTheAnvil.com today. If you don't make time for yourself, no one else will. I mean, the world has gone crazy, right? I mean, this whole pandemic, I I, I don't even know if I'm coming or going anymore. You know what I mean? But the one thing during the pandemic that I found out, right, that was a good thing, was the Madame Paris Salon. I mean, this podcast, right, when you hear her laughing, all you want to do is laugh. When her dog's barking in the background and she's talking to the duck, I'm like, she's going to an interview, and I'm like, this podcast is the best podcast I've ever heard before. You know what I mean? Oh, don't listen to Sebastian. But, yeah, usually I do have dogs barking. So, I again, I'm here with author Rajula Das talking about her book, Small Deaths, originally titled... Uh, <laughs> get this wrong this time a death in Shonagachi is that right a killing yeah help me out yeah okay. that's right <laughs> all right um what is the actual release date of this book and where will people be able to find your book um so it's coming out on this on september 13th and you should be able to get it on Amazon really, really easily. And um, I would recommend, I would, I would urge, I mean, otherwise I would say go to an independent bookshop. But actually my publisher is also Amazon. So Amazon um, publishes a bunch of books. Yeah, but Amazon publishes a bunch of books. Um, they're also, I mean, they're also a traditional publisher, uh, which not many people know about. Like when we think about Amazon, we think about self-publishing, but they have a number of imprints. And Amazon Crossing, which is the the imprint under which my book is published, is uh, the largest uh, publisher of translated fiction in the U.S. and the world, actually. Oh, okay. Which is a pretty cool thing. Indeed. Yeah, they they publish the the largest number of uh, translated fiction uh, in English in the world. Uh, which you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't immediately think of. But um, I think, it, you know, as a translator myself, I think it's cool because translation sort of catching on um, recently. It's uh, it's kind of been uh, something so niche and eclectic for for years, you know, for decades. But now more and more people read translations, and it's more part of the mainstream. So I'm very I'm very grateful for places that that work towards bringing translation. Even though my book is is an English original, um, uh, you know, it's it's still about a different place. So yeah, it's, uh, so you will find it very easily on Amazon. Uh, come September 13th, but you can also pre-order it on Amazon. So we delivered very fast to your door or to your Kindle. There's also an audio book, um, which sounds like it's going to be really cool. I just met the audiobook narrator, and she seems, seems really nice. So uh, that's also going to be available. And, um, yeah, all of that uh, available on September 13th, which is not that far away. 
fantastic. And I'm looking at the page on Amazon right now. It's got the formats of the, and a Kindle audiobook, hardcover, paperback, audio CD. And it says pre-order here with one click, and it will be delivered. Um, if you get the Kindle, you know, it's, it's going to be delivered in your uh, to your Kindle on September 13th or deliver to your home as soon as it can, probably. I don't know. It's, you know, Amazon was talking one time about using drones to send books. To, maybe they are. I don't know. It could, <laughs> it could be there before. It could just look up like Superman. <laughs> oh, that's my book. That's my book. Oh, my God. That's my small desk, my Adas coming to me. Yes, thank you. So you can just sit oh, out in your garden God. with a, a glass of lemonade and wait for small desks to come to you by drone. Uh, who knows? It could. Uh, but also, let me say that I will be sharing for people who want to know, because so many of my uh, listeners tell me they listen uh, when they're driving, especially if they have a long commute for work or school, or maybe when they're jogging or exercising and can't write it down. So I will always include on all my social media, not just from Madam Perry Salon, but on my own social media for Jennifer Perry, I will share uh, the links to get Small Deaths, the novel by Regula Das, so that you don't have to worry about writing it down right now. I will always make sure to share it on Pinterest, uh, Pinterest and LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, so you can find it. Because I don't want anybody to yeah, not be able I, to find I, this book. <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah, I think it will be it will be really cool. Also, as an audiobook, I'm personally really looking forward to it because I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and um, I think it's just so handy if you're doing chores or if you have to like you know do a really complicated meal that requires a lot of prep, just to have an audiobook in the background. I just really love it, uh, and uh, the book I think like works really well as an audiobook so that's again another reason i'm looking forward to it so i know that we've you've discussed all the heavy themes and there is definitely some heavy themes in the book and you know go with your eyes wide open there are some trigger warnings obviously because it does deal with quite heavy stuff but it is also i want to say for everyone because it's the book released in india i've, I've had a lot of author feedback for uh, for a year and it's actually really, uh, really fun in places as well. So there's, there is a lot of humor in it. And lots of readers have told me, readers and reviewers, uh, in the one year that it came out in India before it, it's going to come out in the U.S. and the world, people told me that they, they laughed and then they, uh, you know, there were definitely some light moments. There's some romance as well. So... You know, please don't think that you will have to be crying while you're driving if you listen to the audiobook version or if you sit down and read this book. Uh, it is based on years of research. It is quite, uh, you know, it is, it is as authentic as it possibly can be. Uh, but it is also a human story, and no human story is just doom and gloom and crying all day long you know people people find joy and that was very important to me that the book had joy and the book had jokes and humor and love and anger and crying and just like just how life is so um yes please like it is it it has its lighter moments as well um and i would love for you to find them so yeah you know, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you brought that up just now because I think that was in your interview uh, at the Jaipur Literature Festival with uh, Kanish Gupta that you were talking about. You know, there is some humor in it and there is uh, different emotions. It's not. Don't think it's going to be just one theme and one emotion all the way through, which is great because I also love, like lots of people, love to listen to audio books when I'm doing something in the house or when I'm driving, especially a long trip. Uh, it's just a good company. And, yeah, this book, um, and, and you were able to have all those different uh, different emotions. You know, there is some humor. There's some romance. There is pain. Um, you put a lot of several years. Uh, you talked to I don't know how many people. And as I understand, did you, did you rewrite this book, I heard, 12 times or, or – <laughs> I, I I didn't write rewrite it uh, 
12, 12 times, but I rewrote it over uh, like about seven years, I want to say. So it was it's a lot of work's been like gone into it. So the first version that I wrote was really fast. It was um, all I did was write the book. It was it re- went really fast. It was like telling myself the story and getting it down on paper. And I, I even uh, and then I started you know, after some edits and, you know, the research and the PhD, I, I started shopping it around and I had uh, offers from three publishing houses and I took one of them, which was Picador, India, where it was originally released last year in July with the title of Death in Shonagachi. And, uh, but I wasn't really, I wasn't really happy with the version that I had sold. So, uh, my editor, my first editor in, in India, I had to basically tell her, hey, listen, I'm really not happy with my name on the front page of this book. Um, I, I feel like I need to make it better. And she was a saint and she, she just very patiently waited for years. And then the pandemic hit. <laughs> and uh, that was a uh, pandemic project, <laughs> of oh, course, yeah. you know. 2020 <laughs> came and changed our lives. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yes. So, but, but I mean, I mean, I was, I was well into um, changing the book and rewriting stuff um, even before the pandemic hit, but that's when I sort of changed everything, uh, a lo- major chunks of the book from about the third chapter onwards. So it was really a different book based on the same universe with the same characters. But uh, it was a completely different book than the one that, that my editor had originally bought. Um, so, but, but thankfully, because I'd, I'd done all the hard yards uh, that time round when I sold it to Amazon Crossing, uh, it, was, it was more or less done. And, and the work that we had to do was some language changes because you know it was written in British English, so um, metrics and systems and stuff like that. So we went through mm-hmm. a, a, a you know smaller changes in terms of language, nothing major. And Amazon Crossing definitely did not um, force it in any way. Like they did not say, well, you know those parts need to be changed to make sense to an international audience and stuff. So, um, which is what sometimes people um, are afraid of that might happen, you know. Uh, authors are afraid of, but, you know, if you, if you get a publisher that um, understands your book, that, that, that often doesn't happen. So, hopefully, you know, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's all about, it's a human story. So, um, mm-hmm. even if there are cultural specifics that we don't always get, I feel that's okay because, you know, I mean, I personally read a bunch of fiction from all over the world and sometimes you don't get things and and that's okay you know it's okay as long as you get the whole uh, you get the bigger picture the bigger story <laughs> i think i think readers are more forgiving than uh, than people in publishing think they are <laughs> we all like a good story <laughs> by the way folks the, yeah. uh, rajula's website is rajuladas.com and it's r i j u L-A-D-A-S dot com, and I'll be sharing that too, but you can go to this, she's got a fantastic website, and it's got lots of great information, and uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I was looking here too, the about Russian rights have been brought, uh, French rights, also um, adaptation rights option for, uh, by Drisham Films. And so there could be a series, like a limited series in development. So for all of us who uh, got through Stranger Things and everything else during the <laughs> pandemic and uh, what, what, what Outlander or whatever else you were watching, this, they, uh, we could have something new to look forward to. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too, because, you know. It's um, it's so interesting when someone else, uh, another bunch of creatives come into your world and and um, see it with new eyes and make something new out of it. Um, that's always exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it is. Oh, by the way, I did have a message come through, and this is from uh, Nicole. 
in uh, she's in Tennessee, and she said, "I am loving this interview." And would you believe I got a gift card from Amazon last week for my birthday? So I know where I'm going to start. Thank you so much. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, the Lord. Thank you for your message. Yes, thank you, Nicole. That's very, very sweet. Hey. Uh, well, this is the first time I've ever been on a podcast. So, hey, I should, you know, one sale. I made a sale. That's a pretty Yay! good feeling. <laughs> so, well, you know, I first am... podcast. <laughs> well, I want to thank Betsy for uh, for scheduling your publicist, for scheduling you on my podcast. I'm glad I'm the first yeah. podcast. Hope it was a great experience because we I am just uh, okay oh wait and also um, uh, Ricky and uh, where are you Rick Ricky says he's in Albuquerque New Mexico he says great interview I'm saying everything Megan's I mean uh, not Megan Nicole said thank you so much Um, look forward to reading your book Regula Thank you, Ricky. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ricky. That's awesome as well. Although, so, as, as, yeah, well, yes, and it's a podcast with, um, with live people calling in. That's, that's, that's pretty fun because uh, my only experience of, 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 you know, that is from, is from American TV shows and um, televangelists with people <laughs> calling in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's very, I'm having all these flashbacks, but also to parks and recreations where uh, they, they're on that talk show and people call in usually in the parks and recreation, um, the series. So yeah, it's like, my, yeah, I've never been on like, you know, live um, call and say things on radio sort of thing, apart from like American, uh, seeing, it, seeing it on American oh. television. So it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's so, um, you know, it's so interesting because so much of um, our experience of America, like I've I've visited the States because a family there, family, you know, like there's a lot of Indians um, who who moved to uh, the U.S. a long time ago. So uh, my uncles and aunts have been there for over 50 years. Um, And, you know, we have second generation American Mm -hmm. Uh, nieces and nephews and second cousins um, but you know so I've visited US but um, so much of our understanding of the US from the outside of US is, is, is through TV uh, that's, uh, so sometimes you'll have yeah when I was when I was in uh, in Houston I was like the one thing I wanted to do was go to a diner and eat a waffle like I just wanted and people were like yeah but Houston has like really fancy restaurants I was like I don't want a fancy restaurant I just want to go to a, a diner and have like a key lime pie that is green. Like, <laughs> that's what I saw on TV, and I wanted it. <laughs> I get that. I really do. And it's so funny because I was telling you before. Now, see, me being Southern, I always thought my mother was the best, best cook. And if I go to somebody takes right. to a Southern restaurant, I'm going, no, nah, this, isn't, this isn't like my mother's. I, no, this is not it. And as I told you before, <laughs> I worked for two um, professors from Jabalpur. And I was a husband and wife, and I had to cook, learn to cook for their family. I can make the puri, chapati, uh, paratha. Oh, I can, my God. Oh, honey, because that was my job, to cook for the family uh, when they had relatives come to visit. Oh. Um, so, but if I go to an Indian restaurant, I, I, I get the same way. I'm going, no, this is not home cooked. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, yeah. this one is home cooked, this one is not, this one is made for Americans. So, yes, it's really funny how you, you know, you, there are certain things you want to taste and to try. And, and especially if you've heard it on TV, mm-hmm. you've read about it in books or whatever, um, that's food. Yeah. Well, now, yeah. let me tell you what's going to happen tonight. It's a night like this, and this has happened to me. I've been doing this podcast for about five years. This will be the night that as soon as we end, I'm going to get all these messages from people saying, why didn't you ask this? Why didn't you ask her that? Why didn't you uh, <laughs> ask more about so-and-so? And I'm going to say, well, and every time I say, well, why did you ask? And they go, every time, and I can't be mad at this. They go, because I was listening. <laughs> okay. 
day. And so <laughs> I have I have such wonderful audience, and they're always they always sometimes they'll call in a lot, and then sometimes they'll say no. I was just fascinated, and then after the show they'll let me know um, what they wanted. So. I don't care what they do, as long as they're enjoying it and they're happy, that's all that matters to me. So um, I'll let you know. And uh, so then let me go ahead now and extend an invitation to please return whenever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, yeah, we're planning a visit maybe um, next year. And this time I really want to go to New Orleans. And eat Ooh. some of that great food. Again, it's all it's all motivated by food. My whole life is motivated <laughs> by food. <laughs> no, next food next stop is New Orleans. New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, I might so, meet no, up with I mean, you there. Just, yeah. yeah, that would be like, I really want to go to New Orleans this time. There is so much more to see. And U.S. is such a big, big country, and I've only seen such little bits of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was in I was in New York, and I ate uh, fried chicken over waffles. And at first, I was very confused <laughs> because there was so much syrup. Because you know, it's like it's sweet and savory together, and I was so confused. But you know, I was you, you couldn't you couldn't not have it, or um, or chicken over rice or whatever that you couldn't not have it. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I don't think I've had my fill of diners yet. I think I still need more, more waffles and more key lime pies and in proper diners. Yes, I you will can never have enough of that. But, but I'll yeah, but you know, like New Orleans, yeah, and like also Louisiana. I think mm-hmm. I want to be in Louisiana and, and and eat fried chicken. Like I should, like you know, there's. There's so many songs about it. For God's sake, there is songs yeah. about it. How can I, yeah. <laughs> how can I not have Louisiana fried chicken? Yeah, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? Everything. The songs. And don't forget <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia, my hometown. You got to hit that too. So. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. Gotta, you know, that, I, that, I, that I, was really, really cool. One thing I've discussed often, and a lot of my regular guests and listeners know this. They've heard me talk about it. And this is also because I'm an entertainment publicist. But I said my, my fantasy, my dream is to have a, a tour bus that maybe like one of those fancy kinds that country singers have. Um, right. And then we will go tour across the country. And different people will get on and off. Like maybe we'll have certain... Uh, Writers and some musicians get on at one place. We'll stop at little towns, entertain. They'll sell their books and music. Uh, they'll feed us for free, I'm sure, and then go to the next place yes. and the next place. And uh, just, you know, I'm working on it. I've got people, you know, saying, okay, I'm looking for buses for you. I said, I don't want I want it to be comfortable because the people are going to get on even for a short term and travel with us. I want them to be comfortable. By the way, New Zealand, um, Brokenwood, do you watch Brokenwood? I haven't. So no, I haven't. Oh. Was in broken wood. Okay, I have to Is share that. Is that a show? Yeah, it's it's a kind okay. of it's a murder <laughs> mystery series that takes place in New England in a Ooh. place called Brokenwood. Not not New England. I'm sorry, New Zealand. New Zealand. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love I love murder mysteries. I think they're in in small towns, like you know, oh, the whole Abercrombie thing and this Marple thing. I just love it. <gasps> Yeah, I should check that out. And Stephen King, like see, all the weird things happen in small towns. <laughs> I just yes, love it. You know, every every March I go to Tucson, Arizona for the Wild Wild West Con Steampunk Festival, and uh, there's a guy right. from New Zealand that always comes in his full fabulous steampunk clothes, and he says, "Yes, we have steampunk in New Zealand." And I said, "I know there was an episode of Broken Wood oh. where there was a murder." At the same time. <laughs> yeah, right. so, yes, that's what you know. That's what you know. Okay, no, that that officially sounds great. I should actually <laughs> look it, look it I'm up. Yes, send, I'm going to send that to you. And thank you so very much. Uh, out of time, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to play. Everybody's got to swing. That's 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 my song. And if you want a copy of it, I'll send you the CD. And if you don't like the CD, it makes a great poster or a cat toy. So. Um, 
Regina Das, I will be sharing all your information. <laughs> Best of luck with your new book, Small Death, and all that is to come. Thank and I you. honestly feel, and guests come back and tell me I'm always right. I see great things in your future. And uh, all the best. Thank, Thank you, you so for very much. having me, madam. Yeah, it was Have my a pleasure. good one. And for all of you listening, have a really green key lime pie for me tonight. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. All right. We'll see you. That was the wrong, was the wrong thing to play. This is what I put it to play. Love you all. Love you all.